and welcome back to Let's Talk Books. I am your host, Victoria. Um, I hope everyone is staying safe and sane during this crazy time. And I also hope that this is all over very soon because it's crazy out there. It really is. Everything's quiet and calm and crazy. And I'm not used to it. So this week on the podcast, we will be talking about Into the Abyss, which is a incredible true story of four plane crash victims who survive in the cold Canadian winter wow, cold Canadian wilderness in 1984. Um, what drew me in first to this book was the fact that it happened in northern Alberta, and Alberta's my home province. So, I thought that was pretty cool. I mean, the more you know about some of the history of your home is always important. So, that's what really drew me in, and just the fact that these four incredibly different people survive this incredible incredibly difficult time in anyone's life is just amazing so yeah uh this story goes through um events before during and after the crash and yeah so we'll start um, and to start, we are going to talk about the four people who survived the crash. So first we have Eric, who was the pilot. Um, he was a young rookie pilot. He was just trying to get his hours in so then he could be a commercial big time pilot doing the big jets. And so that's... All he was doing really was just getting hours so then he could be a well-trained pilot and go into the bigger planes and the bigger jobs. Next we have Larry who is um, a cabinet minister in the Alberta government. So he's a politician Um, and he's part of the conservative party which is nice, I guess, if you're conservative. Um, also, he was the first Muslim cabinet minister, which is crazy because it was the 80s. The 80s were a shady time. Um, at least from what I heard. <laughs> I don't know much about them. Um, anyways, so yeah, there's Larry, the politician, family man wife and children, and he was just going home to visit and see his family. And then we got Paul, who is our criminal. He is going to obviously stand in court and have charges laid against him for a couple B&Es and robberies. 
and he's being transported up by Scott, who is the rookie RCMP, Royal Canadian Mounted Police. Um, so yeah. So with Scott being a rookie, they usually get shoved up into the nowhere land of northern Canada. And <laughs> they're kind of left there for a few years and then they're welcomed back into civilization. So those are our four people. Um, on the plane itself, there were ten people on board. Um, one person I know was Grant Notley, who was Rachel Notley's father. And if you don't know who Rachel Notley is, she is a politician for the for the Alberta government, and she was actually our premier for the Alberta government for a while. So she ran our province, essentially. Um, and then, yeah, so her father unfortunately passed away on the flight when it crashed. Which, speaking from experience, it sucks when you lose a parent. It probably sucks even more when it's unexpected like that. Um, there was also a woman who was a mother of six who passed away. She had just had her sixth child and was going home from Edmonton, where the flight took off, and she unfortunately passed away. So, those are Eric, Larry, Paul, and Scott are our main people who survived and who go through a ton of aftermath after the fact. So... The flight takes off in Edmonton, which is the capital of Alberta. That's why Larry was there, because that's where all the politics happens. And the flight was going from Edmonton to High Prairie. High Prairie is a northern town. I don't even know if you can call it a city. It's a town. Um, doesn't have very much. So it's just one of the towns up north has a little runway enough to be able to fly back and forth between High Prairie and anywhere else. So we'll start talking about Eric. Now, like I said earlier, Eric is a young rookie pilot. He's just getting his hours in to be able to fly commercially. And so with that, the company he works for is Wapiti, Wapiti Aviation. I probably pronounced that wrong. Uh, anyways, the company he works for is <laughs> real sketchy. Um, and they kind of like to bend the rules a little bit when it comes to the pilots and the flying and everything like that. So Eric does what he has to do to get his hours. And originally he was supposed to have a co-pilot on this flight, but he didn't. It was just him. So Eric is flying from Edmonton to High Prairie with, I guess it would be 
nine passengers because he's the 10th person, 10th person on board. So he is flying this little prop plane because when you go up north, you really don't need a big jumbo engine. You're just, it's a little prop plane. That's all it really is. And so with that, that means um, all the passengers go out to the tarmac to load up onto the plane. And that means that Eric loads the plane himself with the luggage. And Eric is overworked, overtired, and it's not fully there. He should not have been flying this day, but he was. So with that, he loaded up the plane and pilots are supposed to do calculations based on the fuel, the weight of the like passengers, and then the weight of the luggage and everything, and um, how far till they can descend from the sky to start the landing. And he miscalculated all of it. He miscalculated the weight. He miscalculated the distance he needed for when he started descending. I think he was good for fuel, but the weight and the descending, he miscalculated horribly. So Eric loads up his plane. He then talks to Scott and Paul because they're sitting in the emergency exit aisle. So he has to tell them and walks them through how to, you know, open the door and help everyone out. And Scott and Paul are handcuffed together because obviously you can't transport a criminal without them being handcuffed. So they're handcuffed together and they're just chilling. And then Larry's by himself at the back of the plane. And so everything's good. And they take off. So they take off from Edmonton to fly to High Prairie. And I can't imagine it's a super long flight. I'm going to guess at least two hours at like the max. I'm guessing here, but it, it can't be that long. So anyways, they take off and everything is fine and dandy during the flight and there's no hiccups or anything. But as soon as they start getting close, Um, Eric has to, you know, radio into all the different towers. Because, you know, this is back in the 80s when technology wasn't exactly, like, up to where it is now. So he had to constantly radio in. And then he had to do math and pinpoint where he was. So then he could figure out how far he had to go. It's a lot of math involved. Anyways... So he's coming up to the High Prairie Airport and what he thinks is that he thinks he's a lot closer than what he actually is, according to his miscalculations. So he thinks that he's closer. So he starts his descent onto the runway, except he doesn't descend into the runway. He descends into a wooded area and when he starts to realize what he's done, it's too late. And he crashes into the woods. So 
big pine trees take off the wings of the plane, the tail of the plane, and he hits the ground. And the plane is just completely destroyed and wrecked and there's luggage thrown everywhere. And there's people stuck in their seats who aren't able to get out. Eric was able to crawl up through the windshield. Paul and Scott, considering they were in the emergency exit, pulled the emergency exit and got out. And Larry, being at the back of the plane, crawled out through the back of the plane. And Paul was originally the first one to get out because somewhere through the flight, he convinced Scott that you know, he's not going to go anywhere and he could be unhandcuffed for the duration of the flight. Because he was right. Where was he going to go? So he's the first one who gets out. And then he had the thought of, hey, I could run and I could leave. But he doesn't. He stays and he helps Scott get out and he helps find, you know, Eric and Larry and they were all able to come together and figure out what they were going to do. And so there's the plane crash site. And then a little bit off from the plane crash site is like their little camp that they made. They had a fire going, some things set up so they could sit and relax and everything. And Scott was really hurt and he kept like drifting in and out of consciousness. So they had to keep waking him up and like making sure that he was okay. Eric, of course, was completely shaken up. Like he just, he just crashed a plane and he knew that he killed people. And he was worried that the four of them were going to die and freeze to death before any of them were found. Um, Larry broke his glasses so he couldn't see shit. <laughs> and of course he was hurt and wounded. And they were all just scared. They were scared that they were going to be stuck in the wilderness and that they were going to freeze to death and no one was going to find them and all of it would be for nothing. Um, so as the night goes on, Paul and Eric keep going to collect wood to make the fire and then they go to the plane a couple times to see what they can salvage for like you know, extra clothes to keep warm. And when they go, they do hear a few people moaning, but unfortunately they can't do anything to get these people out of their seats and out of the plane. So unfortunately, as much as they want to help these people and save these people, they couldn't do anything about it. So, yeah. So, Paul and Eric and... Larry trying to be as helpful as he can while being blind or gathering sticks and logs and, you know, trying to make a fire and trying to keep warm and they're taking clothes off of people from the plane and putting them on themselves so they can keep extra warm and not worry about freezing. And they're keeping Scott awake to make sure he doesn't slip into unconsciousness. And they sit around like this for... Two days. Two days they sit around a makeshift fire and huddling together, wearing a ton of clothes, starving, dehydrated, scared, 
for two days. So, while they are scavenging around trying to find things to build fire and to keep warm and to make sure that they don't die, um, people start gathering at the High Prairie Airport to wait for the people coming in. When the plane doesn't arrive on time, everyone waiting starts freaking out. The people at the desk start calling around, trying to figure out what happened. And so they find out that the plane did take off as scheduled. It checked in at this one tower and then it disappeared. So within a few hours of the plane disappearing, they figured it out that the plane was gone and that it crashed somewhere between Edmonton and High Prairie in the north of Alberta, in the wilderness, in late October, where everything is cold and snowy and awful. So then everything gets kicked into high gear. Uh, there's police from Grand Prairie, which is the bigger city from High Prairie. Um, Grand Prairie show up. Search and rescue teams show up. The military from the Edmonton garrison are called into duty for... Um, helicopter drops and everything like that. They've got their big, like, fancy choppers <laughs> that they use. Um, so they're called into action. And people are on foot, snowmobile. They've got the copter, the, the helicopters. They've got planes going around. And there's... They're, they're working so hard to try and find this damn plane in hopes that they're going to find people alive. And in airplanes, there is a transmitting box. So when the transmitter box is on, it transmits a signal saying where the plane is. And so while the men are sitting around trying to figure out what to do, Eric knows that this box exists. And he explains what it does, but they can't tell if it's on or off. So every hour they go, flick the switch, and then hope. So then every couple hours it switches on and then switches off. They don't know which one's on, which one's off. They're just hoping that someone's going to catch the ping. And of course, with the massive search teams and the helicopters and the planes and everything searching for them, they do catch the ping. And they start pinpointing where the pin is and they start developing the area of which the plane could have crashed. So after, you know, the signal goes on and off a couple times, they directly pinpoint it and they find the crash location. And so... Rescuers show up and they whisk away Scott, who's the most injured, and Larry and Paul and Eric, and they all whisk them away because they're the survivors and they need the most attention before they die of exposure, dehydration, starvation, the injuries, whatever. So they're whisked away quite fast by the military and their big fancy crafts that they have. I should have looked it up. I should I should have looked up the name. Um, so yes, the four of them are whisked away. And then, obviously, after the whole incident happens and all the 
bodies are recovered of the deceased. Questions start being asked of what happened, why did it happen, and how can it be prevented next time? So the Canadian Aviation Safety Board starts looking into the company that Eric worked for. And even before the crash, they were getting hints about this company and that things were kind of wrong with the company. So they were kind of looking into it, but not as in-depth as they probably should have. So anyways, after the crash, the Canadian Aviation Safety Board really looks into the company and starts asking lots of questions and they start looking at the logbooks and they start really investigating this company. And, you know, they ask Eric and the other pilots what it's like and how could this happen and what kind of stresses are you under? And of course, all the pilots say the same thing. They're overworked. They're not like everything is just stressful and, you know, they're told to cut corners on some things and everything like that. So Eric, of course, spills it all. Other pilots spill it all. And the company eventually goes to court with the Canadian Aviation Safety Board. Um, And then all, all, all hell breaks loose, basically. So, of course, all four of them go to the legal proceedings with everything. And Eric is questioned beyond belief and he is made to look like he doesn't know what he's doing and that he's lying and that he was able to get enough sleep by the company's lawyers, which is, you know, what company lawyers do anyways. But he had enough of the other pilots to back him up. So anyways, a long court proceeding goes on with that. Um, Scott recovers fully from all his injuries. Um, of course, he is still mentally not okay because, you know, he was going to die in the wilderness and he realized that his life wasn't what he wanted it to be and he had this great epiphany, which I feel like happens a lot when you're on the verge of death. Um, all of Larry's minor wounds healed up and Paul barely left without a scratch. Like he was the less hurt out of the four of them. And so all of them are of course questioned. Paul is of course arrested because he's still a wanted criminal and he is still under, you know, He still wanted in court. And as Scott is being questioned about, like, you know, how did you survive and all of this? And he goes, well, Paul is the one that basically saved my life. And so from what he remembers, Paul was the person that was, you know, keeping the fire alive, keeping him warm, making sure that he was staying awake, talking to him, making sure that he was okay. And Paul was doing everything to make sure Scott was okay above himself. And so with Scott telling them that, listen, he could have ran away. He could have disappeared into the wilderness, but he didn't. And he stayed back and he saved my life and the other man's life. He's not a bad guy. 
And so Paul is actually awarded the life-saving award because he was the hero and he made sure that the three other men were kept warm and safe and awake and away from danger and he did everything in his power to make sure they were okay. Um, these four men are just, first of all, incredible for surviving, first of all, a brutal plane crash, then surviving two days in the Canadian wilderness with improper clothing, no food, no water, nothing. And with the injuries they did. So after the whole court proceedings with the safety board and the company and everything like that, the men get to go on with their lives. Paul goes to Grand Prairie and he meets a lovely woman and he falls in love and, you know, he's all happy. Uh, Eric and Scott become really good friends. Um, Scott actually leaves his wife because... He realizes that his life isn't fair to her, so he leaves her, so then they can, you know, get the lives that they both want. Um, Eric and Scott live together, they do some hiking around the country, and some camping, and just getting to be one with nature, and just moving on with life. Um, Scott does continue to be an RCMP officer, and Eric flies a little longer, and then becomes a fireman afterwards. And good old Larry goes back to his wife and his children, and he continues to be a politician. So, you know, they all move on with life and everything. And, you know, Eric and Scott both hit, like, a little bit of a rough patch after, because, you know, obviously Eric is upset with everything and with the court proceedings and just everything he's confused on what he wants to do with life and it took him a while and to really like figure out that you know being a pilot's just not for him anymore and then Scott with leaving his wife and you know just trying to move on with life and everything like that so Eric and Scott hit their little rough patch Larry you know carrying the mental scars from everything like that moves on fairly well um, of course he does have, you know, nightmares. They all do. They all have nightmares about the crash and everything like that. Um, and then Paul. So Paul went to Grand Prairie and he met a woman who worked in a bar and he fell in love and he moved in with her and her two children. And he was, you know, like a doting stepfather and he really did everything he could and he built a life with her. And this bitch cheated on him with a police officer, <laughs> which I just, I find ironic. He was a criminal, strained out his life, fell in love with a woman, and then she cheats on him with a police officer. And of course she denies it for a while, but it's inevitable. And so he gets into drugs and drinking and... One night, they have a really big fight. He's not in the best state of mind. He drives his car too fast. He crashes into a bridge. And he ends up in the hospital with 
broken bones and just in terrible shape. Where he then becomes more hooked on some more medicine and drugs. And the woman he loves leaves him, kicks him out. He becomes homeless. He wanders the streets. Um, he still works at the same bar she worked at. He's a just a cleaner. So he's working, but he spends his money on drugs and drinking. And one night... In the middle of winter, he was walking around a little too drunk and he sat down in the snow and he gave up on life. And they found him the following spring dead from exposure. So, unfortunately, Paul, after surviving a plane crash and two nights alone in the wilderness and everything that followed and how brave he was just kind of gave up one day and died. So he unfortunately passed before the author decided to write this book. And from all accounts from everyone, he was a great guy. And he deserved better in life than the cards he was dealt. And yeah, it was awful because he was so excited that his life was, you know, on the straight and narrow. And, you know, he found someone he really cared about and they, they were gonna get married and they had the family already. And then everything went downhill for him unfortunately, while everyone else's lives went on and improved. His went up and then downhill quite quickly. So, yeah, Paul, after being a lifesaver, just didn't want to anymore because he didn't want to consider himself a hero anymore and everyone considered him one. So, yeah, um... Eric and Scott went on to have families of their own, get married. Um, Larry, Larry developed cancer and he passed away before the book was finished. And the best part is actually is that this book is written by um, Larry's daughter, who is a journalist and obviously grew up in Northern Alberta. So she took a lot of time and talked to everyone who was, you know, Scott, Eric, her dad, talked to everyone involved in the crash. And then she talked to, you know, people who knew Paul and got information about him. And, you know, some people that worked at the company Eric worked for at the time. And yeah. Um, yeah, that's, Basically, a quick sum up version of the story. Um, oh yeah, the the aviation company that Eric worked for um, did get shut down because you know obviously it was a really sketchy company and they did sketchy things and yeah, so they got shut down. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's 
that's the novel. That's the book, the, the story. I, I loved it. Because while I was reading it, I forgot that it, it was a true story. And I thought it was just all this fiction that was, you know, the author's, you know, um, made up world. And honestly, you know, with everything and how it sounds, it it does, you know, for people who are completely different, survive a plane crash and, you know, survive the brutal cold nights of Canada. It's an incredible story about survival and not just survival of the night, but survival afterwards and moving on with your life. And you know, what everything can do to you and the strength you need to persevere and move on with your life and do good things and be a better person than what you were to start off with. Um, so yeah, I deeply loved this book. It was, it was a great read. And yeah, just to know that being a human and you can live through stuff like this is incredible. So yeah, that was Into the Abyss, which yeah, was, was something else. So that was our nonfiction novel for this week. So next week, we'll be going on to fiction. And next week, we will be doing The Tattooist of Auschwitz, which was touching. It's a historical fiction, obviously. It takes place during World War II and the internment camps and the Holocaust. And it's also a love story because, you know, obviously, they fall in love in the tragic time that was uh, World War II. So yeah, this week, Into the Abyss. Next week, The Tattooist of Auschwitz. Thanks for listening. Uh, also, I forgot to mention this last week, I now have an Instagram and an email. So you guys can follow my Instagram and you can also email me um, any book suggestions you have for me. I am always open for new and exciting books. And it could be anything from fiction to nonfiction to horror, mystery, thrillers, autobiographies, anything. I am down to read anything. Um, so the email is let's talk book podcast at gmail.com. And the Instagram is obviously under the same name as the podcast. It's Let's Talk Books, Bitches. And it has my little podcast uh, art as the profile picture. So yeah, um, Let's Talk Book Podcast at gmail.com all lowercase and let's talk books bitches for instagram so 
follow me on Instagram, send me emails of books. Like you can send me multiple emails in a day. It doesn't matter. You can send one long email. Um, but yeah, thanks for listening and we'll talk next week. Bye.